Morning everyone. Today's Bible reading comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 17, verses 8 through to 13. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose of our men, some of our men, and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. And so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. There we go. Good morning again, everybody. Now, as I... uh, We're right there with the sound? Okay. Um, As I said before, um, I, I take really seriously... Are those other ones playing up? I'm right. I take seriously the uh, the fact of being able to and asked to take a service while Pastor Keith uh, is is on holidays, any other time as well. Um, but more importantly, the fact that it's the start of the year, we're starting a, a brand new series, which is a little bit different for me. Um, whilst it's a series, it's an, an individual um, an individual idea on things as far as Pastor Keith started last week with Isaiah, uh, where were we? Uh, Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 8. And um, it was to recharge, refocus, revitalize as we start the um, the new year in. And I was quite taken by one of the um, parts of that text, and it said a clear. What stuck in my mind was that a clear picture of who God is gives us a clear picture of who we are. You remember that Isaiah looked into the temple and the temple was completely filled with God and he said, Woe is me for I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. And all we can say is, but God But God looks past that. And as you can see from the uh, titles of the next few weeks' sermons, we're looking at at entering 2023 with the hope that as we start the new year, we can shake off the after Christmas and New Year blues and maybe a few calories and face 2023 with renewed vigour and focus in our walk with the Lord. 
We've still got a little bit of a buzz in this thing, but I'm sure Tony will fix that. Now, sometimes the Lord leads us down paths only to have us stop and recharge our batteries. Uh, This time of rest and refocus can come to us in many forms. Maybe it could be brought about because of injury, ill health, family commitments, job opportunities or lack of job opportunities. It's almost an endless list. And I can lend my testimony to having to be satisfied with quite a bit of rest and recovery. We call that R&R. From Wednesday before Christmas through to pretty much the earlier part of this week. And my thanks to my family for their support and help. And knowing that when a grizzly bear is unwell, the best thing to do is leave the bear alone. And thank you for my church family who were praying for me. And I'm the first to admit I make a lousy patient. Oh, (laughs) thank you for that confirmation. But today we want to bring our attention to teamwork. It's my idea when Pastor Keith asked if I could be within the team to do this series is how we can recharge as we go into 2023. And I felt that the Lord was saying we can recharge by being part of a team. And I thought it might be a good time for a few examples that you may remember. Back on the 26th of September in 1983, I'm sure it'll come to Dung Dave here like a like a straight away, he says, that's when we won the America's Cup. Remember the wing keel? Yes. We came to cross the line in front of uh, whatever thing they put out there, the Americans put out there, called a boat. Uh, the best of seven races, and we were down quite quite well about halfway through, and then Australia too started to pick up a bit. Okie dokie. And the thing is, where were you when that when that race was, was being run? Some of you weren't born, I understand that. Sue probably won't remember it, but yeah, you're in Sydney. Well, we're at a place, and I'm not, I'm not even going to try and spell it for you. But the place was called Kalongaluk, and people would look at the name and, and they'd just get all tangled up with it. So but the locals used to call it Kula, and we had a service station on the highway there, and we managed to watch the race um, while that was going on. Okay, the other one was only 23 years ago, so of course you know, most of you will remember this one, the Olympic Games. And Kathy Freeman in her zoot suit, went with the 400 metres and uh, it was such a, a thrill. Not only did she get to light the uh, the cauldron, but a couple of days later she was able to win the, the 400 metres. But there was teamwork involved. And whether that was a, a sailor on the yacht, 
or people behind Kathy insofar as the the coaches and the physiotherapists and all the people. It was teamwork involved. And it may be argued that I got a left-field approach to things. So when we look at um, the, the, the verses that we had, and thank you, Bert, for reading those out, um, next time I'll try and find some really good nut words, you know, long, awkward ones to put in there, but, but it was fun. Okay, so what it, what, what it was is the, um, this, this fella called, uh, Amalek, he decided that he wanted to have a go at the Israelites, but the Lord knew what was going on. And he told Moses to get Joshua to go and pick some fellas out. Now, they didn't say go and pick everybody. He just said, go and pick people from, from our group and uh, we're going to go into battle with them. But I want Moses to be up on the hill with the staff of God. That was just so important to remember that piece. But Moses took Aaron and Hur. And as Bert so lovely read, as Moses was holding the staff above his head, the battle went the right way. But when he got tired and drooped, then the battle went the other way. So Aaron and her decided to get this big rock and they put it there, sat Moses on it, and then they held his hands high with the staff of God. So there was a team. Joshua had his part of the team out on the battlefield and Moses, Aaron and Hur were the other part of the team up on the mountain. So Joshua was supported by a team. Aaron and Moses were on top of the hill overlooking the battlefield where the Amalekites waged war and that the Lord had told Moses would take place. And it was a team within the team. So we had the team out there and we had the team up on, on the hill. Moses had the rod of God, as they called it, the staff of God. When he lowered his arms, the battle went the wrong way. When Moses and her lifted, uh, sorry, when Aaron and her lifted Moses' arms up, the battle went in the Israelites' favour. Moses could have made a choice here. He could have decided, I'm in charge. I don't need anyone's help. Just imagine what would have happened then. It would have been disastrous. So he made the right choice to accept the help of his teammates. He understood the physical limitations but the other aspect of the scene that shouldn't be overlooked is imagine you're one of the soldiers in the battle. You're one of the enemy soldiers in the battle and you see a weary, flagging Moses up on the hill. Or imagine you looked up there and Moses arms raised with the rod of God in the, in the air. The same staff that God had told Moses 
to take and perform miracles in front of Pharaoh. The same rod of God that parted the Red Sea. The same staff that brought water out of the rock. The psychological impression on those soldiers fighting for Israel would have been tremendous. Conversely, the opposing warriors would have felt defeated just by seeing that that staff raised. Word would have sped throughout the battalions, stories of conquests fought and won because the one and only true God was fighting for his chosen people. An example of this is found in Joshua 2, 8 to 11. And this is where Rahab hid the Israelite spies on her roof. Now, before they lay down, this is uh, Joshua 2, 8 to 11, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now, these are only two spies out there having a bit of a look-see, but this is what she said. I know the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you to come out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard of these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven, above and on earth belief, uh, beneath. So the message had already got out. Don't mess with the Israelites. But Moses was in charge of over an estimated two million people. Everything was on his shoulders. So when the battle with the Amalekites began, was there any wonder that Moses needed her and Aaron to support his arms? From there, uh, after the successful battle, uh, where Moses had been shown the support of Ur and Aaron, and Aaron, we have the situation where, again, Moses was taking on the responsibility of adjudicating between bickering neighbours day in, day out. But again, we can say, but God. God sent Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, to intervene. And in Exodus 18, verses 13 to 26, it says, And so it was in the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning till evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, What is this thing you're doing for the people, and why do you do it alone? You sit and all the people... Stand before you from morning until evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge them one to the other. And and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. 
both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you, and you're not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice, I'll give you counsel, and God be with you. Stand before God. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easy for you, for they'll bear the burden with you. So Moses was trying to look after two million people and they were all out there and they were bickering amongst each other. And God directed Jethro to show Moses how he should delegate, form a team. He was still there when it needed the the big decisions to be made. Moses was there, but he wasn't there just to be virtually weighed down by everybody. Moses needed a different team this time men who were in charge of certain numbers of people who could lighten the administrative load. Not warriors to, to help in fierce battles, but men to help manage verbal disputes. This brings us to another way that we can refocus, revitalize and recharge. It's been suggested that Solomon was the book, uh, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I looked up the name Ecclesiastes, and it simply means a preacher or someone that convenes a meeting. And so Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12, two are better than one because they have good return for their labour. If either of them fall down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though they, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And there's one more line in Ecclesiastes that I really need to bring to you. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, this cord of three strands, it has a name. It's called, well, two names, God's Knot, K-N-O-T, and the unity braid. And it symbolizes the joining of one man, one woman, and God. 
and usually can be brought about in a marriage ceremony. It adds a truly unique element to the marriage ceremony that friends and family will remember. And what's the value of this? It's the value of being in close relationship. From the very beginning, one of the things God said, it is not good for man to be alone. God was establishing a principle recognizing how important relationships are. This was not just true of Adam, it's true for you and I. We were created for relationship, fellowship and friendship. So Ecclesiastes brings out an age-old truth, the strength in numbers. And what's fascinating about this is recognizing that it doesn't take a lot of numbers to increase your strength. He focuses, he, when I say he, it could have been uh, Solomon that wrote it. We're not entirely sure. But he focuses on a quarter three strands. So let's figure out what he says with a quarter three strands is not easily broken. It means an interweaving. As we've already mentioned, it can be used in marriages, in a marriage ceremony, where one strand represents the bride, one represents the groom, the other represents God. But these three strands are then intertwined into a braid that cannot be easily unraveled. Example one. One moment, please. For sake of time, I've managed to do this myself. Exhibit A. Exhibit B. Now, with Exhibit B, we have three strands. And it's been said that a chain is as good as its weakest link. If we leave those three strands the way they are, there's every chance that one by one they will break because one will take more weight or more strain than the other. But when they're in a braid, it's been scientifically proven, so deal with it. (laughs) Because they are twisted, because they are braided and intertwined, and I'm probably cutting about 15 minutes out of my words and my dialogue, and because they can be stretched and compressed, They are so much stronger. So as was already mentioned, it can be used in a in a uh, in a in a marriage. 
In the simplest sense, the fibre that is twisted or the braid uh, is stronger than the same bundle of fibres that are straight because the, the cord has more capacity to stretch. It won't stretch as the same length as the straight fibres, but in exchange, the fibres and the spaces between them can compress, but they become stronger. There is one critical point to this. It only works when the cords are braided, not when they remain separate. This means that you're not competing against other people, when you are connecting with them. For you have more support and can be more productive. You must get connect, connected or intertwined with other people where you each strengthen one another. You must resist, resist the temptation to be a lone ranger. If you're a lone ranger, you may think it's a sign of strength, but the truth is you're much weaker than when you are connected. Jesus, when he was on the earth, chose 12 disciples. Out of the 12, he had three that he was closest to. He revealed things to them, and they had experiences with him that others did not share. In one instance, Jesus was getting close to his crucifixion. He went to the garden to pray. Notice who he took with him. He went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Not only did Jesus ask them to pray, but he poured out his emotions to them. Remember, he revealed things to them that he didn't reveal to others. This is a cord of three strands in action. And if Jesus modelled it, what about us? When you think about what the verse, a cord of three strands is not easily broken, means today, it all goes back to what God said about Adam in the garden. It's not good for you to be alone. It wasn't good for Adam then and it's not good for us now. Your Christian journey is, was never meant to walk, be walked in isolation Jesus didn't journey alone, and neither should we. I didn't seek permission for this next bit. I hope Pastor Keith is pretty good on marriage reconciliation. On the 23rd of October in 1971, Helen and I were married at St Mark's Anglican Church, Picton, in New South Wales. 
It was a very quick ceremony. So quick that the Anglican minister was known from that day on as Jack Brabham of the pulpit. And for those who remember Jack Brabham, he was a racing car driver. Jellignite Jack was his name as well when he was out rallying and throwing bangers, crackers, big bungers at the um, uh, judges and everything on the side. Jellignite Jack, he was called. So we thought this fellow was pretty quick at the at the ceremony, but we have photographic evidence that the proceedings happened and we started our lives as Mr. and Mrs. Ma. But here I must relay something to our church family that I've shared with very few people. Helen and I were not Christians. Yes, we had a... Christian uh, church background, but we would have been called at the time C&E Christians, Christmas and Easter. We knew about church things. However, we had no relationship with Jesus Christ as our Saviour. But God. On that night, we prayed a very fumbling and stumbling prayer and asked that God would be part of our marriage. I truly believe that in spite of our lack of biblical or theological knowledge, God in his infinite mercy and grace heard us and undertook to protect us and our future family. And I can't ever remember before that having heard of the three chords that we now know as God's knot. Now another time, that's great if you're in a unity of three. But there are lots of reasons where you can't be in a unity of three. But I believe the Lord showed me how you can still have a good unity yourself and him. And what we'll do, I'll use these as an example from in a moment. But for those who can't have a unity of three, as we did with the other chords, you take two. Why have I got a coloured one and a white one? You'll notice the white one throughout the rest of them. Well, I reckon that signifies Christ. I remember giving Helen Joy a piece of jewellery. didn't happen very often, so it was pretty special. But it was just two bands of gold, just um, not, not, not chain or anything like that. But we found later that they were in what they call a square knot. And when you tie a square knot, the tighter you pull them apart, or the further you try to pull them apart, the tighter that knot becomes. And I believe it was the Lord, through this piece of jewellery, 
showing us that the way we could see our marriage is that the more trials we faced, we could still be close together. So, see if I can do it properly this time. It's right over left, which I'm doing probably the wrong way because I'm inside out, and left over right. And we could do it a couple of times because, as I say, I'll probably get it wrong to start with. Oh, praise the Lord. Here we go. No, it's not. It isn't. I'm sorry. It's the wrong way around. That was a reef knot. Still doing it wrong. But you're good at it. Where's the Boy Scouts? I never, never, never did get there. Jeff knows how to do it, but he's, Jeff will do it and show you later. Right over left, left over right. There was something else that came about from Pastor Keith's sermon. Oh, there it is. I had it right the first time. I will blow it. There you go. As you can see, it's quite a, a slippery knot. But the further you pull it, it just becomes a real good knot. The other thing that impressed me with Pastor Keith's sermon was in Isaiah, I think it's uh, chapter 6, fair enough, and I think it's verse 6, but the Lord said, who will go, um, who will go for us? And that reminded me back in um, Genesis where God said, let us Make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle over the earth and every creeping thing. So there's a, a unity within, within the creation. There was another time when they were building the Tower of Babel, Babel, and God said, let us go down and confuse them. So there's a unity there from God and there also is in Isaiah where he said, who will go for us? I know that in some instances we do not let people into our lives. Maybe we've tried it once before, twice before, and trust has been broken. But I want to finish today by asking you to give it another go. I know there are some with trust issues because you've been hurt by those close to you, but guess what? So was Jesus. Yet he still walked closely with others. Some of you have been deserted by your so-called friends when you needed them most. 
So was Jesus. After he was arrested, they all ran away. My point is that you need people. You can be recharged by other people. I found that out through the last couple of weeks I went through with this COVID. And as hard as you may try, you can't escape the fact that you need other people. For this reason, I want to pray that God would connect you to the ones he wants in your life. But before I finish, we're going to finish off with a hymn that I asked Lynn to organise. And it's called Bind Us Together. There is only one vine. We are one with Christ, and that's why we can sing, bind us together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, for my brother or sister who needs connection, bring the right people into their lives. You said it's not good for us to be alone. So don't let them stay alone. If there have been past hurts, heal them and remove them so they can trust people again. Let's all experience the joy of true fellowship and true relationship as this is what you desire for us. In the same manner, they enjoy relationship and fellowship with you allowing us all to do the same with others in the body of Christ. Let this be done for your glory and our benefit. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.